Good morning, everyone. Uh, the Bible reading today is from Acts 15, verse 36 to 41. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all of the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. If you're here today and you have a family, you will know the agony and the ecstasy of family holidays. The ecstasy is obviously there are great memories created and you have lots of things that you never forget and it's a good time of strengthening as a family. The agony usually revolves a long drive and if you've driven uh, in a long period of time with kids, you'll know that it can be um, quite a difficult exercise, not only the squabbling in the back seat, um, but because of one particular question that get asked for the first time as you back out of the driveway. Um, do you know what the question is? Are we there yet? Yes, over and over again. Are we there yet? Five minutes later, are we there yet? No, I said it was two hours. It's now an hour and 55, an hour and 50. Are we there yet? And over and over again, the question comes, are we there yet? Well, this week, I had one of those moments myself. I was preparing for today's sermon and I was planning to preach from Acts chapter 16 because that's what we're up to. But as I was studying my preparation, I really felt that the Holy Spirit was impressing on me that when it comes to Acts chapter 15, we're actually not there yet, that we actually need to finish off with Acts chapter 15. Last week, we read all of chapter 15 and we focused on grace. In our Bible reading, we read through the whole passage, which was quite a long passage and and Anne did a great job of that. But we didn't in the sermon focus on the last five verses. And I think it's actually pivotal that we do today. And so if you missed last week, let me give you a little bit of an update on what we did. Last week we focused on grace. And in chapter 15, the apostles were arguing and fighting on the side of grace. And their argument against the Pharisees is that we're not saved by keeping the law. We're not saved by our good deeds. We're not saved by our own righteousness. We're only saved by throwing ourselves on the grace of Jesus Christ wholly and solely. Now I've got to say my favourite thing to preach on is grace. I love preaching on grace because it's the centre point of the gospel and it's what makes the gospel good news. Without the gospel, without grace, the gospel can't truly be good news. And the reason it can't be good news is that at the very core of our hearts, we're fallen people. We're not good people by nature. We are sinners. Now, if you don't believe me, for the next week, try not to sin. Now, looking around this room, you might want to try an hour first. Try the next hour, try not to sin and then work your way up and see if you can not sin for the next week. You'll find that we are sinners. We just seem to gravitate towards it over and over again. We've sinned, we keep sinning. We've rebelled against God. We've walked away from Him. And in many ways we've said, thanks God, but no thanks. We'll take care of this life on our own. We'll be like our own God. And the book of Romans says that no one is righteous, not even one. And so the fact that God, who is perfect in every way, can love us when we are imperfect in every way is absolutely extraordinary. And the truth is we didn't pursue him. 
but he pursued us. And if you're a Christian here today, you're only a Christian. You're only saved from your sins because he pursued us. And by his spirit, he opened our eyes to the truth that we cannot be righteous by ourselves. We cannot be in relationship with God by ourselves. We need a saviour and that saviour is Jesus. He didn't love us because we first loved him. He didn't love us because we deserve it. He didn't love us because we're lovable, even though clearly some of us are. (laughs) He made a choice to love us because he is love. And the God who created the universe made a decision to leave the glory of heaven in all its perfection, in all its splendor, and become one of us in order to save us. It's extraordinary. Jesus Christ was God in human form, the creator of everything, entering his own creation. That's staggering. Now, I've used this example before, but I think it works okay, so I'm going to use it again. It's the example of an ant. Today, if I was trying to communicate with an ant, and there was an ant in front of me crawling around, and I started trying to communicate with the ant, a couple of things would happen. First of all, you would think I'm completely crazy. And you'd probably be right. The second thing that would happen is that it would make no difference whatsoever. The ant would just continue being an ant. I could scream out, ant! Ant! I could get down on my knees and, and use ant language. Ant! Sorry, that's my jockey voice. But I don't know how an ant sounds. Probably similar. But I could use ant language and the truth is it would make no difference. I could not communicate with an ant and they would continue being an ant and I would not. The only way I could truly communicate with an ant is if I actually became an ant in some sort of honey I shrunk the kids moment where I could shrink myself down and and transform myself into an ant. If I could become an ant, I could truly connect with an ant. But to do so, I would have to dwell amongst them. The Bible says that Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us, that God became one of us. And he did that to communicate with us, But he did it also to show us the way to relationship with God the Father and ultimately to destroy the works of the devil by dying in our place and conquering the power of sin and death. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. The wages we deserve to pay is death. But Jesus on the cross took our sins upon himself and he died the death we should have died. I mean, the sins that we've committed can be forgiven and that sin and death no longer have power over us because Jesus conquered the power of sin and death, not just by dying, but by being resurrected again, showing that he has power even over death. And so in him, in a relationship with him, we too conquer the power of sin and death. It's a wonderful thing. We can have the hope of eternal life. That's the gospel, that he did all of that for us, unconditional love. It's the best news that you will ever, ever hear. The best news you'll ever hear. It's attractive. It's attractive news. It's life-changing news. And if you're a Christian here today, you've experienced that. And that's the message we have to tell the world. This series has been about being on mission. And the reason we're on mission is to tell the world that they too can come to know this incredible God who loves them unconditionally, despite the fact that none of us have done anything to deserve it. That's grace. It's why we call it amazing grace. And so what I really want to communicate today in this particular passage, and what we didn't cover in Acts 15 last week, is that the nature of grace is that it's not only received, 
but it also needs to be distributed. You see, grace is not stagnant. It's dynamic. And in the kingdom of God, grace constantly flows. It needs to constantly flow from God to us to others. I could use the illustration of water. Water, when it flows well, operates uh, and does what it's created to do. When water flows in the correct way, you see that animal life comes and they're blessed by it. The, the, The waters teem with life. There's fish and all sorts of marine life that flourish. Not only that, but when the water flows, it stays pure and it brings life to us as we drink of it. But when water ceases to flow, when it stops, when it pools and ends up in a puddle or a billabong or something of that nature, it no longer does what it's designed to do. The life dries up. It's no longer pure. It's no longer good for drinking. It no longer brings life. And I think in many ways, grace is the same. It's not designed to be stagnant. It's designed to be received from God so that it can flow to us and through us to bring life to those around us for the glory of God as it reveals his heart. And I really believe that forgiveness is one of the ways that grace is most powerfully demonstrated in our lives. Forgiveness of others that we can see is a way of loving and revealing a God that we cannot. Let me say that again. Forgiveness of those that we can see in our lives is a way of revealing the love and nature of a God who we cannot. And so when we forgive one another, I believe the love of God is revealed in that process. And so today that's going to be our focus this morning. And I'm really trusting that this is a message that the Holy Spirit has led me to today because it's something we need to keep being challenged in, in our personal lives and also as a community. And so at the end of last week's passage, just after the apostles have just fought hammer and tong for the gospel, they have fought for grace and it's all about grace, this love that we don't deserve. It's a wonderful occasion. But the very next thing that happens in the verses just after, immediately we see a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, two of the men that had just fought so hard for grace. And it all started because Paul proposed to Barnabas that they should pay a second visit to the churches they had planted on their previous tour of Cyprus. Now, Barnabas agrees, so that's a great idea, Paul. But then he added another suggestion. He also suggested that they take John Mark with them. And Paul was very, very unhappy with this suggestion. To find out why Paul didn't want Mark to go with them, we need to actually go back to Acts chapter 13. And in verse 13 of that chapter, it says these words. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, when we read a verse like that, it seems kind of innocent. We don't really read anything into it. We just kind of skip over it. It all sounds okay. It doesn't go into the detail about why Mark went back to Jerusalem. And so we could easily just ignore that verse. But it's not until we get to this passage that we find out more about what really happened. And we find out why Paul's not happy about it. In verse 37, it said, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in the work. So the original verse says, it left them, he left them and went back to Jerusalem. We skip over that. Now it becomes evident what really happened. No, no, Paul doesn't see it as him just leaving and going home. He sees it as him deserting them. It's a strong word and Paul clearly felt that desertion very, very deeply. And it's fair to say so do we. 
There's no doubt that each of us feel it deeply when people betray us in some way or um, leave us or, or do something wrong to us. We feel it deeply. And sometimes it's very hard to let go of. Paul and Barnabas, are, Paul's basically saying, well, we stepped out. I mean, we, we, we sacrificed. We went and planted these churches. We followed the heart of God in mission. We went and did all this stuff. The New Testament tells us that Paul and Barnabas risked their lives. And so they took great risks for the gospel. And Paul's basically saying, we did all of this, and yet John Mark, uh, he said, I just can't do this anymore. When the heat got turned up in the kitchen, he just disappeared. He just found it too hard. He deserted us. He said, I can't do it anymore. I'm going home. And Paul has felt the betrayal very deeply. Barnabas, on the other hand, he's willing to forgive. He says, let's give Mark, John Mark another go. He missed out on all the great stuff that God did. When we planted those churches, we saw God move. We saw people saved and set free. All this exciting stuff. John Mark missed that. And so when we go back, why don't we give this young guy another opportunity? Why don't we take him with us? And so Paul responds, he's the man who's fought for grace. The man whose whole life message is grace. He's all about grace. And he says, no way, John Mark. You blew it, baby. You came. You deserted us. There's no way you're coming again. We've done all the hard work planning these churches. Now you think you're coming back? You think you're going to come and enjoy the fruit of our labor? No chance. No chance that's going to happen. Barnabas, who we know as the son of encouragement from earlier scriptures, he disagrees. And the dispute is so strong in verse 39 that they end up splitting. Paul takes Silas and they head off in their direction to Syria. And Barnabas takes Mark and they head off to Cyprus. I don't know about you, if you sort of think the way I think, but in a strange way, I found this kind of reassuring as I read this passage that here's a man commonly perceived as the greatest apostle of all time, the guy that just loves grace and talks about grace. But in this passage, we see this same man getting it so wrong. And I found that reassuring in a strange, twisted way because we all regularly fail to distribute the grace that we've received as well. I mean, we were freely received, don't we? Yeah, I've done done things wrong, I've sinned, I've made mistakes. God, I'm so ready to receive your grace. I'm so ready to receive your forgiveness. You're awesome. But we're not quite so ready to freely give that same grace that God has poured into our hearts. And so it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. And today I want to challenge us really in two main areas. The first area is this, forgiveness in the present and in the past And also, later on, I want to challenge you in forgiveness in the future. And I think they're both very important. All of us have got people in our lives who we have struggled to or still struggle to forgive. And so we can act all holy today and um, act like we've got it all together. But as I say this, I'm assuming that the majority of you can already think of one person in your life, at least, if not people, and already you're getting a bit stirred up on the inside. That person really annoys you. They've done things to betray you and hurt you. And straight away, the emotion starts to build. You may have someone in your life that gives you ample opportunities to practice forgiveness. I call these people forgiveness personal trainers. (laughs) Kim just recently has started seeing a personal trainer. Her name's Jess. She works at the uh, cafe here. And it's a great way of connecting with our community and getting fit at the same time. And Jess is a wonderful girl, very nice, friendly, always smiling. But I can tell you, halfway through the session, Kim does not see her that way. She is no longer the lovely girl. She goes from being this lovely girl to a monster. And she's pushing Kim. 
uh, in the middle of those PT sessions. And she's a personal trainer. And that's what personal trainers do. They push our buttons. They make us work hard. They get us to repeat things over and over and over again so that we get stronger and get better at those things. But it hurts and it's hard. But that person ultimately will help you grow. Now, I reckon there's people that God allows in our life that help us with forgiveness in a very similar way. They're forgiveness personal trainers. They're the kind of people that you forgive and then they just do something else. And then you forgive them again and then you hear they're doing the same thing again and again and again and they're training us to get better at forgiveness. For you this morning, it may be a wayward child, someone that you know, you've sown so much into but every opportunity they get, they just blunder it. Maybe they've been caught up in addiction or, or they just keep doing things that hurt you and that's so difficult to forgive over and over again. Maybe for you it's a, a friend or even just someone who opposes you and talks behind your back regularly when you're not around. It can be very hard to forgive people like that. Maybe for you it's a parent. You have a parent that, that abandoned you or even worse abused you or, or hasn't loved you the way that you should be loved and it's so hard to forgive them. Perhaps you've been in an abusive relationship where your spouse has hurt you physically, emotionally, mentally and it hurts over and over again. Well, today I don't want to underestimate any of that. I don't want to downplay the things that may have occurred in your lives or underestimate the way people may have hurt you or let you down. I'm not standing here today as an expert in forgiveness. I'm going to be open with you today and say that I struggle in this area myself. myself. I'm not here today to advocate that forgiveness is easy because I don't think there's many things in life that are actually harder. Just this week I was listening to the Neil Mitchell program and he was interviewing Tony Abbott. And he asked him the question, have you forgiven Malcolm Turnbull? Good question. Listen to his reply. Uh, Very good question, Neil. And uh, I might exercise the former Prime Minister's prerogative of silence. I mean, there's uh, obviously been a lot of dirty water going to the bridge, Neil. And I guess in time, all things are more readily understood, more readily accommodated and seen in proper perspective. I think it answered like a true politician. Didn't really answer the question, but by the time he's finished, we think maybe he did answer the question. And I think the real answer to the question is clearly a resounding no. I have not forgiven Malcolm Turnbull. And it's easy for us to judge and say, oh, we'll get over it. But I guess that all of us have had times in life where we feel like Tony Abbott felt when he was interviewed this week. And I think Paul in this passage finds himself in one of those seasons. When someone has let us down, it often takes time. Time to come to the point of forgiveness. And yet forgiveness is not an optional extra in the Christian life. Jesus said in Matthew 6.14, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The Lord's Prayer, And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. In the passage we read today, it's clear that Paul is not there yet. He's failed to apply or practice what he preaches on grace. And it highlights the truth that forgiveness isn't easy. And so if you're here today and you're struggling with forgiveness, don't beat yourself up too much because I want to let you know that you're not alone. Let's acknowledge today that sometimes it's a process. And for us to forgive, God first needs to do stuff in our hearts. He needs to convict us. He needs to challenge us. Sometimes he needs to bring healing, breaking down the pride, giving us wisdom. Forgiveness is not easy, but it's also not optional as Christians. Jesus on the cross, hanging there, being killed, 
by these men. And the same men who were killing him, he stretched out his hands and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Right there is our role model when it comes to forgiveness. A couple of years ago, I was reading the story about Corrie ten Boom. Now, if you don't know who Corrie ten Boom is, she was a Dutch Christian who, along with her father and other family members, helped many Jewish people escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. And they did it by building a secret room in their house. And eventually, after hiding many people successfully, the Nazis discovered and found out about her family. And her whole family were arrested and thrown into prison. After a while, most of them were released, except for Corrie and her sister Betsy, who were sent to a concentration camp, where they suffered horrendous persecution, and Betsy eventually died. Corrie was released due to a clerical error, and she believes it was God's intervention. She's famous for saying that God doesn't have problems, only plans. I love that. But after the war, she returned to Germany. Just that sentence alone is, is pretty staggering. She returned to Germany. And she travelled around preaching the gospel with a specific emphasis on, you guess what? Forgiveness. And she went everywhere and she preached this message of forgiveness. And one day she's sharing a message and a man walked down the centre aisle like an aisle here today and came straight towards her. And as soon as she saw him start to walk at the back of the aisle, she knew immediately who he was. He was one of the soldiers from the concentration camp. He was one of the cruelest and most vilest men she'd ever met. This man was responsible for the death of her sister, Betsy, and for the death of many, many Jewish people. Since the war had finished, this same man had become a Christian. He'd repented of what he'd done, and he'd come to know Christ as his Lord and Saviour. And he walked down the aisle, and he got to Corrie down the front, and he stretched out his hand, and he begged her for forgiveness. Let me read the words she wrote in her book. She said, I stood there still, coldness gripping my heart. And I wrestled for what seemed like an eternity. Forgiveness is not an emotion, it's an act of the will. Will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. And so woodenly and mechanically, she lifted her hand. And she thrust her hand into the one stretched out to her. And as she did, an incredible thing took place. It started in her shoulder and the current raced down her hand spreading into their joined hands. And then the healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried out with all my heart. For a long time we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God so loved so intensely as I did right then. It made no sense to the world, but that's the way the kingdom of God works. One of the things I love about forgiveness is that it sets people free. Instead of holding them captive, it sends them, sets them free. The Greek word for forgiveness means to free or dismiss someone from his or her crimes. And I think in the passage today, this is something that Barnabas understood. And he demonstrated that he had a greater understanding and application of grace in this situation than Paul did. He followed in the footsteps of a God of the second chance. But he's not just a God of the second chance, is he? He's got the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance over and over and over again. And he says we're to forgive people 77 times, which is indicative of an unlimited amount of times over and over again. And as a result of Barnabas' willingness to step out and forgive John Mark, we see a young man who's restored. 
We see a young man who became a key figure in the mission of the early church and ended up writing the Gospel of Mark, which has led to millions of people being saved. All on the back of one decision that Barnabas decided to make to step out with the help of God and forgive this young man. The question is, what could happen in the lives of others if we make a choice to forgive them? The good news for Paul was that he finally got it. He eventually got it. We read 12 years later in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, these words. He says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark. He says, You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul was obviously convicted, challenged, and changed his heart towards Mark. And as a result, we see this young guy restored and being used by God to do extraordinary things. Let's be honest today. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. We need to cry out to him and say, Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you help us to understand the gravity of the grace that you have poured into our lives over and over and over again, despite the fact we don't deserve it? And Lord, would you help us not only to understand that, but to now take that grace that has changed our hearts and changed our lives, and would you help us to take that grace and distribute it to a bunch of people that may not deserve it? Lord, would you help us in this area of forgiveness? And so the challenge today really is this. Who is there in your life that you need to forgive? In your present, in your past, those people that you just haven't yet forgiven. You might say, look, you don't know what they did. They don't deserve it. That's the point. That's grace. Undeserved love. And it will not only set them free, but it will set you free too. I once heard that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The only person who ends up killing is you when you hold on to stuff and you don't let it go. So important that we let it go because forgiveness, on the other hand, brings life to the giver and also to the recipient. And so I want to challenge you to forgive in your present and in your past. But I also want to challenge you to forgive in the future. Where we're sort of anticipating there's going to be other opportunities to forgive people. I mean, God has placed us here in this community and he sort of brought us from different backgrounds and places and personalities. He's kind of plonked us together here. And I believe he's plonked us together deliberately so that we would be a group of people that would have an impact in the officer region and beyond. Our calling is to lift up the name of Jesus over this region, to see people come to know him and have their lives changed. And so we want to be a community who genuinely and deeply loves one another. Jesus said perhaps the most powerful way of demonstrating that is to actually love one another that way. He said the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And so God's going to provide us with opportunities over and over again to extend grace, to forgive one another. If we want to be a gospel-centered church that loves one another deeply, we've got to get over this notion that being... Grouped together with a group of Christians means that we'll never be offended, that we'll never get on each other's nerves, that we'll never let each other down. Of course, we strive not to do those things, but we're fallen. And if you've got a problem with that community, you need to leave because you're part of the problem. And I'm part of the problem. And the fact that we're here means that we're going to offend people and each other and let each other down and not live up to our standards over and over again. And that's where grace steps into the void and says, yep, you're imperfect. Yep, you've let me down. But you know what? With God's help, I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to extend the grace that God has extended to me. We need to stop seeing forgiveness as a burden and start seeing it as a great opportunity. 
as a gift from God, saying, here is my heart to you, now share it with others. See, in the passage we read today, we see what unforgiveness does. It damages relationship and it causes division. It causes an us versus them kind of situation where Paul and Silas went that way and Barnabas and Mark went the other. I want to tell you this morning that our unforgiveness will force people to do the same thing. They'll have to choose a side. At the same time, we will walk away from the unity we're commanded to have and will cause division in the church that will destroy that unity. Forgiveness, on the other hand, presents great opportunity for growth. Helps us to grow deeper in relationship. It strengthens friendships. It will set us and it will set others free and it will help us to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And so my prayer this morning for us as a church community here at Follow Baptist Church is that we will always be a community that's not characterised by conflict but rather is characterised by grace in the midst of it. And as we do that, we will reflect the Saviour that we profess to worship and honour and follow in the footsteps of. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord, we uh, love your word. Um, sometimes we don't love the challenges it brings. It's difficult. It's hard to sort of grapple with and wrestle with. And Lord, we all feel convicted in a passage like this because we know that there's been times where we've held grudges, that we've held on to things, that we've held people captive and we haven't let them go. We've decided not to extend the grace that you've extended to us. Lord, we humbly come before you today and say we need your help in this. Lord, we need you to fill us with your spirit. Help us to forgive those that have trespassed against us as you have forgiven us. Lord, you're an awesome God. Lord, I just want to pray for people particularly today because I know this can be an area of great struggle for all of us, but particularly for those that have been hurt really badly. Lord, I don't want to underestimate it, but I pray today for those that have been really badly mistreated, Lord, that you would help them to draw from your strength, to lean on you and to be able to not only receive your grace, but to distribute to those people that have hurt them as well. Lord, as that happens, we pray for great testimonies to come of people being released and lives being changed as a result of us extending grace. And Lord, as a community, I pray that we would be great at this. We would be great forgivers. We would be great grace givers. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that we'd be a great witness to the world around us. We pray this in the life-changing, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.